from Charter Hall and Banish, this is Sustainability Further. I'm your host, Lottie DL. You're listening to Sustainability Further, a podcast by Charter Hall. One of Australia's leading property groups, Charter Hall is focused on creating innovative spaces and going further to build a better future for all. Fashion is the second most destructive industry in the world, but rather than feel disheartened, Zoltan Charki saw this as an opportunity. He is the co-founder of Citizen Wolf, a t-shirt brand which is using the power of technology to quite literally reshape the fashion industry from their Sydney factory. In this conversation, we talk about Citizen Wolf's journey to being one of Australia's most ethical brands and how individuals can shop better. So it's really nice to speak with you today, Zoltan. First, I wanted to ask you a question that I ask all of our guests. What does sustainability mean to you? Yeah, thank you for having me. First of all, it's great to be here. Um, You know, I think that's a great question because sustainability is such an amorphous term and it's kind of meaningless, I think, because it's been co-opted and corrupted by pretty much every brand. known to man but personally for me i think sustainability is really quite simple in the sense of it just means to live within your means um in the same way that you know you might have a personal budget and you're not supposed to spend x amount of dollars or whatever i feel like living sustainably is the same thing um and a few years ago i I heard about this thing called earth overshoot day um and to me that kind of perfectly just sums up what it is to live sustainably. So if you don't know what that is, um, basically it's the day, the date within any calendar year whereby we've exhausted one year's worth of resources um, that the the planet itself can kind of naturally um, make. So in 1970, it was one, basically one to one. So we were consuming the same amount of resources that the planet was able to refresh. And every year we've been consuming more and more and more resources on the planet as a species. And today we're up to about 1.6 planets worth of resources consumed per year. It's pretty clear that that doesn't work. Something's not quite right. We're living out of balance with the natural systems that sustain life. Um, And I think it's incumbent on all of us as a result to basically try to, you know, regress to the mean in that sense and get back to some kind of more balanced interaction with with nature and the planet. So, yeah, that was a very long-winded answer, but hopefully um, gives you an idea. No, I think it's like it's a question that I ask everybody and I think the range of answers is so interesting because the term, it means so many different things to so many different people, but it's when you just take a step backwards and you really look at it and look at how we're treating our earth and our planet, it makes a whole lot of sense that we need to do something about it and take quite significant action to do that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we, you just can't stick your head in the sand anymore. Like perhaps our parents' generation could have. Um, you know, I just don't think it's feasible anymore. I think we. You know, we're arguably the, the – if you're living today, you're going to have more impact on the planet than anybody has in the history of history. Um, quite simply because the decisions we make now are, are going are to have planetary effects for millennia, you know, to come. 
And I personally want to make sure that when I wake up in 20 or 30 or 50 years' time, that I can look my daughter in the eye and say, you know, I was trying to do everything I possibly could to avert, to avert climate disaster. So, yeah. It, that is amazing. And you have dedicated your whole life to fighting this cause and to changing or re-engineering fashion to save the planet. That's a quote from you guys. So can you explain to our listeners who haven't heard of Citizen Wolf before what you're doing and how you're doing this? Yeah, of course. So, um, yeah, Citizen Wolf exists to basically um, pull the future forward in a sense in terms of on-demand manufacturing and um, why that is the really truly only sustainable way of making clothes, but I think that probably extends to most things. Um, and so our purpose is basically to prove and validate that there's an alternative model to the legacy fashion industry because, quite simply, the stats around clothing and fashion in particular are disgusting. So if you don't know, one in three pieces of clothing made every year goes straight to landfill unsolved. So you think about that. Think about the input costs, the water that was taken to grow the cotton or the petroleum that created the polyester, and that's a whole other problem in and of itself. <clears throat> and then it has to be converted into fabric and then it has to be you know, cut and sewn in a factory and then it gets sent around the world to all these shops. So all the carbon that's spent all across that supply chain, only for that thing not to be sold, right? Because whoever's job was to forecast sales got it wrong because forecasting is imprecise science and nobody's figured that out. And the business model, the incumbent legacy business model is let's just make the most amount we possibly can for the cheapest possible amount. And you know what? It doesn't matter if we, doesn't, if we don't sell it. It doesn't matter. Um, but it does matter because we're consuming 1.6 planets worth of resources every year and it's just not okay to like do, do all this stuff and then you know put it back in the ground. It's, it's just crazy, right? And so we basically set out to, as I was saying, to, to prove and validate that there's, a, there's a, a better way of making clothes. And so the way we talk about it is re-engineering the way clothes are made at scale. Because it's really simple. You know, if you make your own clothes, for example, that's hyper-sustainable. That's cool. But, like, very few people are going to do that. And if we make a couple of T-shirts, okay, fine. You know, we're doing our own little bit, but ultimately we're not going to change very much. So the really crucial bit is re-engineering the way clothes are made at scale uh, to be two things. So there's two things that are important to Citizen Wolf as a brand. Firstly, it's um, carbon negative for obvious reasons. Um, I think it's safe to assume I'm sure your listeners know what that means. We spend a fair bit of time trying to explain it, but I won't. And the second thing is custom fit to everybody. Because the other thing is back in the day, like the last 250 years or so since the Industrial Revolution, you know, clothes have been made in standard sizes. And it's the consumer's job to spend years, if not decades, trying to find a brand that fits their body. That's kind of the UX of fashion. And in our estimation, it's completely asked backwards. Because why should bodies be squeezed into pre-made clothes when everybody's different instead of just making the clothes to fit the body? 
And in many ways, that's the way it used to be, right? Like before the Industrial Revolution, all clothes were made to fit for purpose, right? To fit the person that was literally going to wear it. And up until today, you know, if you wore fancy suits or you were getting married and, you you know, you were getting a, a dress for the wedding or whatever, that might be the only time you interacted with kind of tailoring. And it's so sad because those clothes you wear so infrequently and we just thought it was bananas that the clothes you wear every day not only had this outsized impact on the planet in terms of environment or um, environmental impact, but they also had this incredible, they had the UX all backwards. And so we just thought, well, what if we tried to make, to make all of the clothes, every piece of clothing on demand to fit the body of whoever was going to wear it? And so that was kind of, yeah, that's, that's, that's what we do. It's amazing. So you focus mostly on the T-shirt, just the plain everyday T-shirt that people can use and wear literally every day, which I think is something that's great because I know as a female, I always used to complain about how men have it so much easier when it comes to shopping <laughs> because they walk into any store and they pick a medium or a small or whatever size off the shelf and then they just know it will fit, whereas you could be a size 8 in one shop for women or a size 14, you can kind of, or they might not even have, they might have ones and twos or mediums. It's all kind of here, there, and everywhere. So I think it's an amazing yeah. um, offering. Thank you. And can you explain a little bit about the Magic Fit algorithm? I know you took home in 2019 the Good Designer Awards, and I did watch a bit of your Shark Tank um, pitch. <laughs> but if you could just explain a little bit about how that works, that would be amazing. Yes. Yeah, so we created the Magic Fit algorithm because we knew that whilst tailoring itself is an excellent outcome for the the customer again the experience of getting something tailored is two things one it's really slow generally you have to go somewhere so that's a pain in the ass you have to get measured which is a weird kind of intimate experience you're not in a lot of clothing and somebody that you've never met is suddenly putting measuring tapes around you and it's also not scalable as a result so we knew that for this to work because we we knew we were very clear when we began that we didn't want to go into suiting. We didn't want to go into bridal because there's a lot of people doing that and we didn't think we could add any value, frankly. And we also saw the opportunity in the casual wardrobe, right? The clothes that you wear all the time, the evergreen basics that you said. But we knew that we, we were going to really struggle to um, – to convince people to go through this elongated, in-person, high-touch experience for quote-unquote just a T-shirt. So we were always going to make, we always knew that we needed to sort of design out the measuring tape. That was all always our intention, and that is what Magic Fit does. So we only need four variables, your height, weight, age, and then for women we also ask for bra. And with those four pieces of biometric info, we can actually create a mathematical estimation of your body, which is approximately 94% accurate. And it's pretty wild because we do only ask for four. Like we could, 
we could get the accuracy up by asking for kind of six or eight or maybe even ten. You know, what what sort of pants do you wear or what's your shoe size or, you know, how big's your nose? I don't know, it doesn't matter <laughs> like that. We could we could complicate things by and get it more accurate as a result. But we decided again at the start, we decided very consciously to to forego a little bit of accuracy in order to maximize simplicity. Um, because again, we knew we're selling quote unquote, just a t-shirt. So this is a really different experience, um, to the way you normally buy, buy something like a t-shirt. So we wanted to keep it easy. Um, and I, and look, I, I, I think we have, and it's really cool because it works and everybody I made says bullshit. I don't believe you. It's just not possible. I'm such a special snowflake. There's no way you can reduce me to full variables. And the thing is, that's true. We don't. It's a, it's, as I said, it's a mathematical estimate of your body. And because we're making T-shirts, there's inherently a little bit more play than there would be in a woven garment like a suit. Um, but we also have a notes field, which we encourage people to add. And then we have natural language processing, which goes on top of that in order to basically move that statistical model to be more accurate than it otherwise would just based on your four pieces of info. So, for example, we get a lot of people who are like, you know, I used to be on the swim team. I've got really good shoulders. Okay, cool. So that's that's easy for us. We know that on average that means we take the shoulder out by, say, a centimetre. Or, you know, I, I crossfit uh, and I train like 7,000 times a week. We're like, okay, well, obviously your weight is all muscle and that's distributed differently to if you just drink 30 cans of VB every night. So, you know, we can move that statistical model to, to make it more accurate based on just, you know, input, like natural language input. That is amazing. So it's kind of using both the power of technology with fashion, with sustainability to kind of create this mashup. Yeah, basically. <laughs> that's exactly it i don't know if that was proper technical language but i'm going to go with it <laughs> that's for i sure. think so i like i like mashup yeah <laughs> um i think it's amazing and i think it's that whole thing about challenging the norm and when you think about fashion and the most stock standard thing it is the t-shirt and it's pushing that to the fact that if you get one really good t-shirt or a couple of really good t-shirts you really don't need a lot more and you don't need to be going to those fast fashion labels and paying $3 for a t-shirt to just take it home and realize that it's the wrong size or there's no use in it anyway, or it just sits in the back of your wardrobe collecting dust. So another big part of what you guys are doing at Citizen Wolf is you're leading the way in terms of efficacy. So let me try and list some of the certifications that you've got. So you are Ethical Clothing Australia certified. You've opted in to the Modern Slavery Act. Your merino wool is also responsible wool standard certified. And finally, you are also a B Corp company. So none of these standards are simple, easy tick boxes or they're easy to obtain. So what have been some of the biggest hurdles that you've had to overcome in reaching these certifications and your goals? Yeah, so it's it's not easy and and b corp above all i think is you know b corp we believe at least b corp's the gold standard for an externally certified um 
tick, as it were, that we're, you know, we're doing the right thing. And that's by people, by planet as well. And I explain it. I'm sure your people probably know about it, but I explain B Corp to people that don't know. It's kind of like having Mother Teresa and, and Mother Earth on your board. And so every decision that we make as a company gets filtered through, among other things, those two points of view. So are we doing the right thing for the planet? And are we doing the right thing for our stakeholders, our people, primarily employees, but not just employees? And <clears throat> B Corp's wickedly difficult <laughs> to get, um, as I'm sure you understand. It took us over a year. Um, we always knew we wanted to do it. We always knew we were going to do it. Um, but even still, and, you know, we're doing something really quite different and really quite novel. And the, all of the data and the stats back us up. So we we thought it was going to be, you know, we thought we might not have too much trouble getting B Corp. But even still, um, it was exceedingly difficult. But then we ended up with a score of over 100. Um, so that's, to me, that was like sort of like the icing on the cake for just that external stamp of validation that, you know, we, we are actually doing, doing the right thing. Because the minimum is 80, isn't it? The minimum yeah, score and is a lot 80. Of, that's right. And a lot of brands, you know, quote, unquote, scrape, scrape in with 80.1 or 80.7 or 82.3 or whatever. And, like, even at 82, that you, you're miles ahead of, of most people. Um, so, yeah, but we, we certified first time over with 100. 100.1 actually. And the great thing about B Corp is that it's, you know, you, you don't just sort of get it and then sit on your hands and go, well, tick, we've, we've done that. You know, it's an ongoing process and you have to get recertified every two years. And if you haven't moved forward, you don't get it. So you can't just maintain the score. You have to be constantly fighting and evolving and, and pushing to be better. And I think that's what makes it so powerful. Um, and for us, that that really is the that's the defining certification that we love. But to answer your question about challenges, um, you know, I think when we began, we it was just myself and Eric, my co-founder, and um, we were we were measuring people by hand because we hadn't built the algorithm yet. We were cutting every T-shirt by hand because we didn't have the laser cutter, and then we were basically trying to find somebody in Sydney who would sew it for us because like, we don't do that. And it was, <laughs> it was really, really hard. And everybody told us no. Like every single person along that journey said no. No, it can't be done. No, nobody's going to pay for it. No, the, the costs don't work. We've run this numbers. We've done the spreadsheets. You know, it's just not possible. And I think we were naive enough and certainly arrogant enough too to think that that wasn't going to stop us. But I, but I think the, the interesting bit is that we weren't from a fashion background. And so actually being an outsider uh, was one of our greatest assets in that. We weren't presupposing what the answers were supposed to be. We were starting at, you know, almost for, from first principles, really, what's the problem? And how do we solve it? And if something that's generally done doesn't help the solution, well, how can we change the way things are done? And the very, the very short version of that story is nobody in the legacy industry wanted to work with us. They were just like, can you guys just piss off? You're too difficult. 
I don't care if you're going to pay me more money than the next brand. I don't care that you're going to, you know, I just don't care what you're doing because you're trying to force me to work differently. And I've spent the last 30, 40, 50 years working in my way. And you don't get to tell me how to, how, what to do or ha- how to change the way I do my job. And okay, fair enough. So we basically ended up starting our own factory because nobody wanted to work with us. And it was just so fundamentally difficult to retrofit a new way of working into the legacy model that we were like, you know, this is stupid. Let's, like, how hard can it be? We'll just start our own factory. Uh, turns out it's pretty hard to start a factory. <laughs> and, um, you know, and now we obviously we carry all that headcount. So as a business, it, it's, it becomes a bit more difficult for us compared to, say, other fashion brands. But ultimately, it is our greatest asset. So our factory is in St. Peter's here in Sydney. Everything's made here. Uh, we use almost exclusively Australian-made fabric as well. And as you said, we're Ethical Clothing Australia certified, which means everybody gets paid fairly. You know, in Australia, that's not such an issue really because we do have pretty stringent labor laws. And so no matter what you buy, if it's made in Australia, you can be pretty confident that it, it's made ethically, I would say. But even still, we wanted, we wanted that external tech of ECA to basically prove to our customers that it's 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 real, right? Because I don't know what the rest of the sort of industries, categories, and verticals do, but I know within fashion, greenwashing is is the standard. It's what everybody does. It's not what some people do to try and get ahead. It's like the entire category is greenwashed from top to bottom. And it's really hard, I think, for the customer to understand or decipher what's marketing and what's truth. Um, because you have one brand over here saying, oh, we use organic cotton, we're sustainable. No, you're not. It's slightly better, sure, but ultimately you're not really helping the problem. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that was really important to us. And so that was another reason why making the factory um, was a good thing because the people we were working with originally um, just didn't want to. Like go down that route because it that's it involves the unions and all this kind of stuff. And fine, they didn't want the unions. That's fine. But we knew we we wanted that sort of tick, and and so we we jumped through all the hoops that we needed to. Um, yeah. I think it's it's a great thing having that kind of control and the visibility, and you're able to really have an element or a visibility on kind of exactly who's making what and how it's being made and how long it's been taken to produce and what are the faults in X, Y, and Z and really adapt and keep on moving. But as you say, it's a very costly exercise and it's not the shortcut. It's definitely the long, it would take far longer than anything else I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I think one of the defining factors of of how we approach business is that we, we do it the hard way to make it easy for the customer. Um, so like within this example, when we were, when we started and we were working with this tiny little, um, two person business, seamstress business, um, it would basically take four weeks, roughly 28 days to deliver a t-shirt. And the fact that anybody waited 28 days for a tailored t-shirt back at the start blows my mind, but thankfully they did. Now we make them in four days and that's exclusively because 
yeah, we can control every single part of the process and we can optimize this. And then maybe we shave, you know, 20% off the dispatch time by just changing it. Or we go one day, you know, like, let's just change the packaging. We'll make it easier. We'll make it also less cardboard, you know. And yeah, I think that there is, there's definitely having, as you say, visibility over the entire process, like vertically integrated from really from go to woe. It makes all the difference uh, as we scale, but it has its challenges. Yeah, definitely. And I just want to go back because you were just mentioning before about how as consumers, it's really easy to kind of get caught up in the greenwashing and get caught up in brands kicking and screaming and saying, yes, we are, I don't know, sustainable or we use organic cotton or something like that. So what would you recommend that consumers who want to shop ethically and sustainably look for? Yeah, it's it's a really good question. Um, and, I, you know, especially within the fashion category, I think it's, I think it's really hard. Um, I do think, like, rough rule of thumb, if it's made in Australia, it's, you're already ahead of the game because there's so many labour issues within the fashion supply chain. Um, so that, and ECA has a really good website where you can find brands, all the brands basically that they certify. Um, as I said before, I think B Corp is the gold standard. If you can, and this this is not just fashion, but really anything, you know, beer or coffee or whatever, uh, even lawyers, there's plenty of lawyers that are B Corp certified as well. So, you know, I think if you, if you really want to be sure that, that you're making a difference with the money you spend, then I think there's no better filter than B Corp. And I only learned this the other day. Australia actually has, I think, the highest percentage per capita uh, of B Corps in the whole world. Of course, we're quite small in, in the total number, but as a percent of, of, um, of businesses, or I think it's a percent of headcount, I'm not sure, by population, we, um, yeah, we have the highest percentage in the world. So, yeah, it might actually be easier here than anywhere. Amazing. Okay. No, those are great. And I think it's really great to look at those certifications as well, because then you can get a bit more of an easier guide. And if you've got a big list or a kind of, I know on the B Corp website, there's a long directory where you can go and you can see exactly who has got the certification. And as you say, it is up to date because you have to get it renewed every couple of years or be yeah. recertified. Sorry. That is amazing. I think we're going to have to wrap it up here because there is so much that I want to talk about, but we need to keep it short and we don't want to take up too much of everybody's day. But thank you so much for joining us today, Zoltan. Yeah, that's okay. It was great to have a chat. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. This conversation is part of Charter Hall and Banish's podcast series, Sustainability Further. This series has been designed to inspire Australians to be more environmentally responsible and to take climate action. Sustainability Further is produced by Banish. Charter Hall's purpose is to create better futures by bringing aspirations to life.